0: Hello and welcome to this Archimedes October podcast. As you will be well aware, I hope, Archimedes is the evidence-based section of the Archives of Diseases of Childhood, where clinicians ask clinical questions, go out and search out the best available evidence and summarise that to answer the question in an attempt to make evidence-based medicine usable to paediatricians. This month we have two clinical questions and in a slight change to the usual format the critical appraisal note isn't so much an entire critical appraisal in itself as a pointer to our website where we've been running a blog pretty much for the last couple of years but more intensively over the last six months or so and have started doing a series on trying to explain statistics in bite sized chunks that we're calling the stats mini blog. If you do want to see this, please go over to the ADC Blogs website and have a look through. You will be able to read stuff on categorical variables, normality, transformation of data, what a statistical test means and how to interpret it, and a little bit as we advanced further forward into some more advanced statistical techniques. If you want to hear more about any particular statistical test or issues in statistics that you think that are very common and often misunderstood or just very common and you don't really understand them then please do get in touch with us either via twitter at adc BMJ, or by email to bob.phillips at doctors.org.uk but that's enough plugging of the blog site for this issue although I'm sure we'll get back to that and on to the clinical questions Two rather different topics this week, one from Dr Anand and colleagues in Oxford in the UK where there is a clinical problem that presents infrequently but rather unnervingly and that's of Stephen Johnson's syndrome, a severe complication of infection or drugs where there is widespread erythema of the skin, high fevers, often mucocutaneous bleeding um, and the skin paling in an unnerving and life-threatening manner. The question that's being asked is, in this situation, along with full and appropriate supportive care, would the admission of steroids help? Steroids being used in this instance as a severe immunosuppressant in order to try and clamp down on what is presumably an overenthusiastic immune response to some antigen or other. Well, the team in Oxford screened 400 articles after searching through two different electronic databases and extensively looked for things to help us answer this question. They were determined to look for only the better quality evidence and so excluded anything that wasn't a cohort, either a randomised cohort or a straight observational cohort, and came back with four studies – One of these was pseudo-randomised, that is, that the patients on one unit were treated with steroids and the patients that were admitted to another unit were treated without steroids and the admission of the patients to the unit was based on bed availability and so felt to be relatively random rather than the patients being placed on one of the units as a consequence of their disease. And then the others were straight observational cohort studies where they'd looked backwards and saw who of the children that had been admitted with Stevens-Johnson syndrome had been treated with steroids, who hadn't, and what the relationship was between them. As with much of the paediatric literature, there are complexities in this. The Stevens-Johnson syndrome is not extremely well defined, and that varied a little bit between papers. The steroid that was being used varied both between and within papers, along with the dose that was being used. And being observational, there wasn't a strict definition of of what outcomes were going to be recorded was present in most of these studies. However, when they pulled up all the things that you'd expect to be looking at, things like fever, duration of hospitalisation, rates of intensive care or mortality rates, the only thing that showed a benefit was that fever was somewhat reduced pretty consistently in the steroid-containing group. But unfortunately, there were significant side effects from steroids, as I guess you would expect when being given in doses large enough to cause immediate and profound immunosuppression. The author's bottom line is that despite the fact that fever is shortened a little by the use of steroids, there's actually little to say that the steroids help the patients, and it's more an action that we do to try and make ourselves feel we're doing something and that, in their view, the best evidence for Stevens-Johnson syndrome is to continue with full supportive care, and not to use steroids. As a slight sideline on that, you will be aware that the MRHA have advised that patients of China, Han Chinese malay and thai descent before they are exposed to carbamazepine undergo hla testing to make sure that they don't have a particular hla antigen this was covered back in 2010 by archimedes um, and just take this opportunity to remind you again of that interesting fact and allow you to look it up either on the mha website or in the archimedes archives um, to look more about stevens johnson syndrome and what we've done in the past <laughs> Now, the second clinical question that arises this month is from Doctors Halliday and Kelleher from Birmingham, Alabama, not Birmingham in the UK, which is a nice change, isn't it? It's always good to think of people in far-off places with decent weather getting to listen to, write and engage with Archimedes. So if you come from a place with good weather most of the time, and that excludes Scotland, I suppose, then please do get in contact with us and let us know what you're doing uh, and what clinical questions are arising for you. Anyway, Drs Halliday and Kelleher had a problem with neonate A neonate who at term started having seizures without any clear history why, no good risk factors for hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, a full septic screen and the initial metabolic screen came back with no good reason why this child was continuing to have seizures, and an MRI of the head was suggested. There was some debate on their service as to whether the child would have to be anaesthetised for a full cranial MRI, or whether an approach using non-sedation would be reasonable in a newborn. They went to the evidence and looked to see what had been done. This valiant pair screened over 800 articles to come back with 13 studies where MRIs had been undertaken on young children, that is under 6 months of age, where the authors had reported on the quality of the MRI imaging obtained and they also excluded studies with fewer than 20 patients on the belief that these may well have a stronger element of publication bias than larger studies. This is reasonably based in evidence in that the smaller a study is, the more likely it is to report extreme results, and that's been shown in a number of different meta-epidemiological studies. So good reasons to exclude the small studies in this instance, especially as they found a fair chunk of evidence outside of that, the largest study being of 457 examinations undertaken without sedation. Now, without sedation didn't mean that the baby was just placed in the MRI scanner. Mostly, there was the use of some sort of aid, either earmuffs, complex earmuffs that had been specially designed and ear putty placed inside the baby's ears or an immobilisation device or feed and wrap in some way where the baby was fed and post-feeding was placed within either a specially designed pod or just wrapped up and swaddled neatly before they went into the scanner. The study showed that with generally over 90% and in many cases over 95% of the scans that were undertaken were of adequate image quality to come up with a decent diagnosis. On one study which was admittedly relatively small only 50 patients or so half of them being sedated with a general anaesthetic and half of them non-sedated, there was not an appreciable difference in image quality between the two, and these were a range of indications and did include cranial as well as liver and cardiac MRI. Again, the authors conclude that there is something we can take away from this and that is that for neonates it is perfectly reasonable even for cranial MRI to undertake a non-sedated procedure in the first instance and that we would expect that to be successful 9 out of 10 times and only if that procedure fails would it be worth moving to a sedated MRI. Whilst a number of different technologies have been used to keep babies still and settled during an MRI scan, there's nothing that clearly shows that anything more than feed and wrap or simple earmuffs is necessary to get good success rates. So, that's Archimedes this month. A nod to our blog site for some bite-sized snippets of statistics teaching. Don't use steroids in Stephen Johnson syndrome and do feed and wrap babies that need an MRI scan as long as you've got a patient and understanding radiologist and a lovely baby. What we'd like to hear from you about is all sorts of things. How do you enjoy these podcasts? What do you think of Archimedes? Do you have any questions that are unanswered or things that you'd be liking to hear about during these podcast series? And we look forward to hearing, tweeting or speaking to you in the near future. Thank you. This is the Archimedes podcast from the Archives of Diseases of Childhood. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.